Hey everyone, you are now tuning into The Rebecca School Listener, a podcast for Rebecca School, which is a therapeutic day school for children ages 3 to 21 with neurodevelopmental delays of relating and communicating, including those on the autism spectrum. My name is Chris Hernandez, media specialist here at The Rebecca School, and I will be your host as we journey into the daily lives of those who work here. Enjoy. So, I think it was last week or the week before, Tina and I were on here talking about an introduction to media literacy and what it really encompassed. And so we talked a little bit about screen time and access to screen time and stuff like that. And it may be a little confusing still as to what media literacy encompasses. And so for part two of explaining media literacy uh, for students and for adults, um, I am here to talk about it. And obviously, I'm my name is Chris, and I'm your host. And I'm here with Donnie Welch, our creative writing teacher. Hello, everyone. And so we're just going to talk about some of the aspects of media literacy, and Donnie's going to help me just to expand like into deeper into like each area of media literacy and like what that means. We're gonna um, have ourselves a little dialogue. Yeah, we're, as it were. We're gonna have a little dialogue. So first and foremost, media literacy essentially encompasses all the practices that allow us as people to access media. Um, and not only access media but critically evaluate that media and also to be an, an active participant in the creation of more media. And so when I keep talking about media, um, most of you know what I'm talking about. I mean, this is media. Uh, this is a form of media, this podcast. Uh, YouTube is a form of media. You know, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, all of it. It's all media, and we all, in one way or another run into it um and then even with uh some of our students who go home and play video games and stuff like that's that's still a form of media Mm -hmm. because you know you go online you can talk to people you can make messages and uh we're gonna get into that later i have a little bit written down here um about the creation of messages and what those messages mean and stuff like that um but we see things like this all the time and it even happens in mainstream media uh because you know, you may be scrolling Facebook one day and you see... That's the scrolling. That's the scrolling sound. And you may see a headline that one of your friends have posted or maybe a sponsored post that has an attention, attention-grabbing... attention let, let, Let's make an example here. Uh, There's a mega volcano under New Hampshire. Yes, exactly. Like, scientists reveal new mega volcano underneath New Hampshire going to explode any minute now and the source of news is basically something fake like volcano blogs at blogs dot dot blog i was actually gonna say that dot blogs um and so we need to be really careful with the information that and that's what goes into media literacy is that we need to be careful with the information that we consume because generally all media messages well i I believe i had written it down here somewhere i think it's over 90 percent of media messages are actually written 
to gain profit or some type of power. Um, and by power, it could be any type of power. It could be leverage on social media mm. uh, so that people can sell products to you and stuff like that. Um, it could be many different things. So, so we really need to be careful about the media that we're consuming, the sources that it's coming from. Uh, and yeah. Yeah, I think the volcano example uh, that we did, volcano, blog, app, blog without blog, uh, is while a funny example, a particularly good one of the ways media can leverage attention-grabbing headlines like that for the power that Chris is talking about, right? Every time you click on something, <clears throat> someone gains something from that. Chris has this note that I think is really quite eloquently stated that most media messages are organized to gain profit and or power. Your clicking of that link has more than likely uh, led to cookies, not the delicious mm -hmm. kind, and other data-grabbing tools that that website can either use to pump their products or sell to someone to pump their products. This is pretty scary stuff. Um, so I don't mean to frighten anyone, but that's just the reality of it. So why would someone say that there's a mega volcano underneath New Hampshire? Reasons like that are why. The profit, the power, right? There is power as well in those view ratings. All those analytics are being tracked for any number of reasons. So Volcano Blogs at blogs.com is gaining viewership through your clicking. And that gaining of viewership gives that web hoster some power over, you know, Volcano Blogs at not as legit blogs.com. And that hierarchy is important. It's not even that. It's like by clicking on fake media, it, it is that. But, but a more important key to it is when you understand SEO and you understand um, ad traffic and stuff like that, the more traffic a website gets, the more likely they're going to be approached. And in this digital age, you really aren't necessarily approached. But like you can receive ads from certain companies and you can just post them on there ran randomly to uh, gain revenue. So you're getting someone, you're giving someone revenue who's putting out false information out into the ether. Um, so I had written down, actually, there are five components to basic media literacy. Hmm. And so the first one is that media messages are constructed. Someone constructs them for use online. Um, and we also develop messages internally as well before we create them um so by saying that i mean in our responses mm -hmm. two things so if you're on volcanoblogs.blogs.com and you write oh my goodness can't believe this is gonna happen you know you've internalized that stuff and you you've thought about it and then you've you've put it out there but the point of media literacy and we're going to get to this later is to have a better understanding of the world around you and ask the hard-hitting questions like is this true mm. Are you a legitimate source of information, and should I be consuming this information? Um, and the second is that these messages are constructed using a creative language that has its own rules. Mm -hmm. And what that means is obviously the rules that connect us to this online medium, how we speak in this online medium. I love this one, particularly as a creative writing teacher, uh, if I might interject. Mm -hmm. One thing I think a lot about with media literacy, but also on a broader scale of digital literacy, and this is something actually Ray Leeper, one of the education directors here, kind of put me on to with an article that if I can find it, I'll share it with Chris to link 
uh, later. But thinking about media literacy and digital literacy as its own kind of literacy, uh, you know, kids these days, but for real, kids these days are growing up just alongside technology. You know, mm-hmm. even for myself as a fairly young educator, um, technology was an emerging thing to me when I was young. Same. But, we, were, we were in that initial age, that, yeah. that push where computers were just making their ways into homes. Yeah. And so some of this research uh, that Ray Leeper here put me onto is about this thought of like what digital literacy really means. Then as I went further down that rabbit hole, I came across some people who were thinking some interesting stuff. Essentially, right, we have marginalized learning communities, not necessarily neurodiverse learners, but uh, you know, high poverty, homeless learners, all these things that are just really coming to light. There's a recent New York Times article about 100,000 plus you know, New York City DOE students are actually homeless. And all these larger issues are being contextualized. And one piece of that is that these students, while they might have lower literacy scores than, say, the national or state average, their media and their digital literacy is probably higher than that of their teachers. And when I think about the creative language piece and the unique languages that media messages contain, that really fascinates me as a writer, right? A student sitting in an underperforming classroom who doesn't have a grade level reading score on a state test can probably navigate YouTube or identify a Twitter bot with a lot more skill than their teacher. And this discrepancy is something I think is really fascinating when in having this conversation. It's something that beyond presenting it here, I don't want to speak too much about because there are people getting degrees and people who are experts in it who, if you're curious, I highly recommend you do a Google search and look for the real news about it um, and find out on your own. But this motivates me, right? And thinking about the work I do with students here, I feel similarly. similarly. A lot of students can probably navigate the internet a whole lot better than I can. Uh, That said, I'm sure Chris can and will speak to some of the things to watch out for in internet navigating. Mm -hmm. So, moving on to our third component of media literacy, um, each person experiences messages differently. Um, And this is true in all facts of life. We all internalize things differently. Um, have you ever had that moment in your day uh, and you're either talking to a family member or a close friend and they say something and you immediately are like, oh, are they mad at me? Mm. Are they upset with me? Did I do something wrong? You just get that K text message and you're like, what? Yeah, and you like have no clue what just happened. And meanwhile, there's actually nothing wrong. and you're. It just turns out that you're internalizing something that just isn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, So the same goes for what we read online. We internalize things differently. So where some of us may see it and be like, oh, man, that's troublesome. There's going to be a volcano that's about to erupt (laughs) underneath New Hampshire. The growing narrative. (laughs) Others might be like, like, oh, like, what should we do? Like, what should we do about this volcano volcano underneath new hampshire that's about to explode but there is no volcano underneath new hampshire and it's it's and again it's all about how we internalize this data that we're consuming um and then that what that leads into is how we how we group our data together Mm. 
that how we group all of these digital messages together because then we're going to start to s group things along the same concept. So like, oh my God, there's a super volcano underneath New Hampshire that's about to explode. Um, and then we're going to think about, you know, in the news recently, they were showing there's, there's fires in Australia. Someone might internalize that as like, oh my God, you know, volcanoes run underground. There are channels that run underground. This volcano must be so powerful, like the article said, that something must be happening all around the earth right now. And that's how we group our messages together. Um, and then four, media has an end value and points of view. Um, and what that really means is that we, not only do we attach value to the things that we see online, uh, but there's already attached value to the things that we see online because it was made by someone. Um, and it media always tells one point of view. It never has multiple per, different perspectives on it. it. You will never read one piece of media, or at least I have never read one piece of media that tells things from several different perspectives. Every single person has a different perspective in this storytelling narrative online. Um... And again, that just that that actually leads us into five, which we've already spoiled for you guys, uh, which is most media messages are organized to gain profit and or power, uh, and that's why media messages online have a single point of view. Mm -hmm. So, what does this all mean? What does it all mean, Chris? What does it all mean? So, what this all means is, or how. In fact, how we relate this to our students or how we should be relating this to our students is essentially we should have that open communication. And I know I have that open communication with my students in regards to what they're watching, what they're hearing online, what they're reading online. We have those open forums of communication. You know, one of my students really, and it's actually one of Donnie's students as well, really loves Baldi's Basics. Mm -hmm. They Chris, really... Chris does not really I'd, love Baldi's Chris Basics. Chris does not really love Baldi's Basics. So it, for any of you that are out there listening, it's kind of like a horror-ish style video game placed in a school where the principal chases you around trying to spank you with a ruler while you answer math questions to try and escape the school. Sounds insane. Mm -hmm. It literally sounds insane. And the craziest part is, for half the math questions, there's no way for a student to get it right. And even if they do manage to get it right, sometimes it just comes up wrong anyways. So what is that teaching our students? And so in our last episode with Tina, I had talked about different websites with more... with with a better variety of things. Cause I think, I think the conversation here is like, you know, yes, screen time and the absorption of these media messages can be frightening and ah. harmful for us and everything. And for our children, our students mm -hmm. and for us as well. And so what are some legitimate sources of like places that our students can go to actually learn things. And, you know, I, I've been using, actually, for a while, and I mentioned this last episode, I've been using code.org. 
Um, they have like an hour of code challenge that students can participate in. As a matter of fact, our student that loves Baldi's Basics actually, after doing tons and tons of code.org challenges, we had actually heard that he went home and he navigated to code.org on his own rather than going to Bal the Baldi's Basics game. And he practiced his coding at home hmm. to carry over for the next computer group. Um, and then cool. another thing we use is Minecraft for Education here, which is provided by Microsoft. And Minecraft for Education uh, allows you to basically use the Minecraft world to venture into different worlds where students have the possibility of learning things. So, like, one of my students loves um, doing the prehistoric extinct animals. Mm. Uh, Minecraft world. That so sound pretty cool. It's it's actually really really cool, and he's big on his prehistoric animals. <laughs> so it's like it's a really really cool experience. You know, you have to get a mine cart, and it's actually a roller coaster. Mm. And so this roller coaster takes you to different stops in the entire world, where at each stop you learn about a new animal, uh, and you learn facts about them, and you get to see there are big like bone structures of these animals and stuff, so you can see what they used to look like. There are paintings of these animals. So you can see what they look like. Then there's also like underwater worlds. So it's like, what does it look like at the bottom of the ocean? So I also mentioned last episode, Kano Computing. I had actually met a bunch of the guys from Kano Computing um, at the ISTE conference. And they actually came out with a laptop. To put together. So what we have here is we bought the little mini computer. It's like a mm. small little tablet screen with a keyboard. Uh, but even the Kano computer is really great because it's something you have to put together. You have to install uh, the software on there. And that teaches us practices like, you know, things don't just come from nothing. Oh, this is what's inside of a computer. It's comprised of parts. And what parts are those? They're... There's the Wi-Fi chip, there is the Bluetooth chip, there is the screen, there are the USB hubs, um, and then so on. There's the SSD card, which is our hard drive. So there's no just magic. No, there's no right. magic that just goes into like something just appearing in front of you, and it really and that teaches those foundational skills that it's like, oh, this is what's in the computer. This is how a computer gets put together. And then once you turn it on, you know, you have all of these really cool coding games that really challenge the students to be an active participant in their own learning. Um, and even with that, uh, another thing we've done here is Raspberry Pis. Raspberry Pis are very affordable. Um, I think we paid, I think, 40 bucks for a Raspberry Pi. And that's another experience where it's like, you have to put the computer together. I mean, it's a really easy put together. It's it's just the casing and the motherboard itself, and they're really it's really small. It's the size of a computer mouse. And the crust, and then I like to do an egg wash on my crust. <laughs> <laughs> we're not talking about actual Raspberry Pis. We're talking about the computer Raspberry uh, Pi. <laughs> I was gonna say forty dollars for a Raspberry Pi. It looks. Uh, <laughs> that was a good one. Thank you. Um, mainly what I'm here for, really. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, that's another one that teaches those complex ideas of, like, how does an operating system get installed on a computer? 
So you mean I just don't turn the computer on? It doesn't magically have all the video games that, that are on already and everything? Um, I think speaking broadly, too, to all the really great information Chris is saying, uh, what, what's exciting here is that, like we mentioned in these five steps, like media is created by someone, mm -hmm. right? And to be fair, in a kind of clickbaity way, we led with the fear. <laughs> but um, now that we're in the hopeful bit, the hopeful bit is that like you or your students or you and your student at home like can be part of the creation. Like you can, and not necessarily meaning that you have to dump something online, all these home computer kits Chris talk is talking about, all these home coding kits, they're media, they're a kind of message you can create that your child can create and there's something to me anyway especially as an artist as a creator that's particularly exciting about that mm -hmm. thank you don yeah. and that also leads us into why is this all important for understanding media literacy and it's basically you know digging down deep at our constructive ideology here mm. uh in dir floor time you know we need to in a sense, gain an understanding of the actual real world around us. And we have to gain an understanding of that truth that's out there. And these fundamental things like putting a computer together or doing functional programming online and things like that, you know, finding all these great ways to dispense your energy and your time mm -hmm. um, and your emotions rather than dispensing them in negative ways and consuming negative media, um, you know, does wonders for you. And it just, it, it, it creates within you the want to ask more questions mm. and have those questions answered. Really beautifully stated. <laughs> but, but I mean, that's right. That's what we're talking about. That was one of the first things that, Chris mentioned is the importance of being media literate is looking at something and saying is volcano blogs at blogs.com a legitimate source is this something I should be questioning right it involves all the abstract thinking that at Rebecca's school we as DIR practitioners are trying to promote right it happens on a screen and issues around screen time are their own and your own personal conversations to have but when you interact with that media, the abstract thinking necessary to be like, is this legitimate? Is this something I should question? How and what am I questioning? Is all part of the FEDCs that we're working on mm -hmm. here as well. And I think the funniest thing is, and uh, you know, Donnie probably appreciates me with running his idea of Volcano at volcanoblogs.blogs.blogs. It's just going to continue growing. Mm. Um, but the funny thing about this is, or I think the scary thing about this is, and this is just to show you guys like how destructive media can actually be, is the reason why I ran with it, and this is really funny, I believe it was either the New York Times or the New York Post wrote an article about a fake volcano blog. Ah, nice. That, and so we're, we're going to bring this full circle here. Yeah. I believe it was the New York Times or New York Post. Don't quote me. I, I saved it on my phone somewhere. Chris is an example of not a real source. Yes, Chris <laughs> is an example of not a real source. So I, I saved it on my phone, um, and I'll be sure to post it in the um, references 
uh, with this once this goes live. But there, there was an article that I read about this basically fake super volcano blog post that went viral online. And it even had scientists, like real life scientists, <sighs> scrambling like, we got to do something about this super volcano that's about to explode. And then as it turned out in the end, there was no super volcano. It was just clickbait to drive the traffic up for a website so that they can gain money on their advertisements. Hmm. And it's like, so everyone can be fooled by negative media. So it's just kind of like getting yourself to that point where you're going to question the things you see online. And you're going to interact with them in hopefully a positive way. Mm -hmm. In your own reconstructed way. And so what I want to leave you guys on today is actually, so when I was researching for this podcast episode, I came across different approaches from um, instructional designers on teaching media literacy hmm. and media literacy education to both students and adults as well. And the one that I most agree with is one developed by like Renee Hobbs, which are three frames of introducing media to learners. And so what these three frames involve are the authors and audiences. Wow. So that's one. So who is the author of the content hmm. that's being created and who's their intended audience? Who are they trying to grab? Hmm. Then the messages and their meaning, which is two. Two. So messages and meaning. What is the message of the content that they're creating? Um, and what is the meaning behind it? And finally, the representation and reality of those messages. Three. And this is the most important part where we talked about earlier about, you know, what are the reality of these messages? Mm. Are they real? Is this fake? Like, I should be asking and internalizing these questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to thank you guys. Wait, uh, Chris, can I give you floor time to talk about floor time? Sure. We can do floor time to talk about yeah. floor time. Yeah. I don't think I've ever done one of these. I know. That's why I'm I asking you. I make people do them, and I don't do it myself. Yeah, welcome to it. Floor time to talk about floor time. You want to know something? I do. That's why I asked. I am currently taking the DIR Floor Time 202 certification mm -hmm. class. Um, and I did a really powerful presentation on one of my students. And so I think that my floor time about floor time is realization Whoa, nice. of things. I like this. You know, I think I think it's I think it really is like I, I think I want to bring it to, to realization. Um or just an undertone of like the realization of everything that's going on. Um, you know I had this wonderful interaction with him where we played and we made a whole game out of music production mm -hmm. and stuff like that and everything. And, like, he would make a sound. He would use a synthesizer to raise the sound all the way to the topmost volume. And, like, I would pass out. And then yeah. I'd wake up. And I would, it, it, we were laughing. We were having fun. We were engaged. Um, and so I think 
you know, with this one student, I'm like working on music production, like as you would guess and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I think I got so caught up in like what we were doing and like making songs that I had forgotten, like, we're here to play. Mm. Like, we're here to have fun too. Mm -hmm. Like, this isn't a job. This is school. You should be having fun here. And so I think the my floor time about floor time is like just the realization of like why we're here what's most important at times what do our students need what do we need and just like looking at the overall big picture does that make sense yeah it does bravo <laughs> well guys this has been chris and donnie yeah and we'll see you guys next time and there's no mega volcano there's no mega volcano bye guys <laughs>